Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Today we're talking with Jamie and Jamie is going to share her four birth stories with us. So Jamie, do you just want to start us off with a little bit of an introduction? Sure. So I'm Jamie. I am a mom of four. My kiddos are six, four, two, and five months. And I have had a C-section, a hospital VBAC with an epidural and two home births after my C-section. So... Awesome. And your kids, that's, I just love when people share the ages. That's kind of fun. I mean, probably very busy, (laughs) but fun Uh, that they're so evenly spaced like that. (laughs) Yeah. Crazy might be a better word for it. (laughs) Awesome. Well, why don't you just take us through uh, that first pregnancy and birth story or wherever you feel like you want to begin? Yeah. So, I am, so I'm a doula and a lactation consultant, but before kids, I was a nurse and I was working as a nurse in a wound care clinic. I was not familiar with birth at all, but I was like, I'm a nurse. I've done birth, like labor and delivery clinicals. I, I know this, I got this, like, I don't need to learn anything. So I was very resistant to learning about birth because I thought I knew it all. And so with my first, I was like, well, I know I'm not going to get an epidural because I don't want the needle in my back kind of thing. It'll be fine, whatever. And I just had this nagging feeling the whole pregnancy that he was going to end up being breached and I was going to have a C-section. And that's exactly what happened. I went for my 38 week appointment. I was dilated. He was head down. Everything was great. I went for my 39 week appointment and he was breached. At any point, had you felt him flip or was it really just like an intuition type feeling? So looking back, I I was contracting a lot. Like I had weeks of prodromal labor with him. But looking back, my husband and I went for like a walk to this park. And I remember taking this big step over a ditch and being like, oh my gosh. And I had like the worst contraction I could explain. Like, I didn't know what it was. It felt so weird. So I'm thinking that might've been when he flipped because it just felt so out there, but it, in the moment, it didn't seem obvious. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like the first time around too, there's so many new sensations and movements and things that you're feeling that it's hard to pinpoint like, okay, this is exactly what that was because you're you're learning along the way, I feel. I mean, you can read everything about pregnancy and birth, but until you experience it, it's kind of a whole new world. Exactly. So I, you know, this was kind of like a curveball for me. It was totally not my birth plan to be told, oh, you need a C-section. I burst into tears in the doctor's office. I had a doctor yell at me and tell me like, why are you crying? This is ridiculous. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they were not. (laughs) They were not very friendly. The providers that were there when I found out and 
it was just a very stressful situation. I wanted to try to get him to flip and they would not um, try a version. They said I was too far along to get a version because he doesn't have room to flip. And I was like, well, he just flipped. Right. So obviously he has room. Looking back, if I could have done anything differently, I would have waited to go into labor and seen if he flipped. And if he didn't, then maybe agree for a C-section. I mean, now I know that you can give birth to a breech baby, but I didn't know that then. So I had called literally every provider in probably a two hour radius, trying to find somebody who would flip my baby for me, but nobody wanted to take me on as a patient that late. So I didn't really have any options. My OB who did the C-section, um, when we had our pre- surgical appointment, I guess is what you would call it. She was really supportive of VBAC from the start. She told me, she's like, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that you can have a VBAC next time. Like, this is kind of stupid that we have to do this, but it is what it is. And so I appreciated that, but I wasn't really given a lot of options for a family-centered C-section. I was kind of led to believe that it would be really a gentle C-section. We would do skin to skin in the OR, all of that stuff. And that's not what happened at all. It was kind of like a bait and switch feeling when I got there. We went in for the C-section. My husband wasn't allowed in until they had started, which I guess is normal. I'm not really sure, but that was very overwhelming for me. They didn't let my doula in. They didn't even want to let my parents in recovery afterward. (laughs) Like, Oh, wow. I'll get to that part. I'll get to that part. But, um, they did the C-section, everything went fine, textbook, whatever, but there was just a lot of anxiety and the doctor who had yelled at me for crying when I found out that I needed a C-section was the assisting surgeon and the anesthesiologist noticed that I was getting really anxious. And she was like, is it okay if I unstrap your arms? Would that help you feel less anxious? And I was like, yeah, that would be really helpful. So I just brought my arms straight to my chest. I scratched my nose once because the medications were making me itchy. And I just kept my hands like folded on my chest. And I felt so much better than being like strapped down. And that other assisting surgeon yelled at the anesthesiologist and said, why would you unstrap her, strap her back down right now? And that was really traumatic for me because at that point, my husband and baby had left the room and they were stitching me up. So I was completely alone. Um, They had promised me skin to skin in the OR and they took my son over to the warmer He was crying. He was fine. And he just kept screaming and screaming and screaming. His APGARs were all fine. And then they started yelling that his oxygen was not stabilizing. So I couldn't get skin to skin. Skin to skin contact stabilizes oxygen. (laughs) And I just kept trying to be like, no, like bring him to me, bring him to me. And nobody was listening to me. And they actually tried to walk out without even letting me see him. And my husband yelled at them and was like, you're going to take that baby over to my wife right now. Right. Well, and especially when you're already feeling anxious, out of control. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you, if that one 
regardless of this, if this was before or after the second time that surgeon yelled at you, right. I mean, that doesn't help the situation. That doesn't help keep anybody calm. That right. all that does is add trauma. Right. That's horrible. And exactly. I, my, I just don't understand why these people work with laboring I, women and mothers if they have I no know. compassion for the situation. I completely agree. I feel like as a provider, I understand becoming complacent because as a nurse, I've definitely been in situations where I started to become complacent because sometimes it's the only way you cope. Like I understand that, but you also have to have the self-awareness to realize that's happening and take a step back and fix it. And so that's where I really don't understand it. And what I don't understand is why nobody else in the room said anything because most of the other people didn't have that attitude, but it's whatever. I mean, I can't really harp on that anymore. What was really frustrating was once they took my baby to the nursery, according, like my husband went with the baby and he stabilized after about an hour so basically he experienced what some people will call the protest despair response to birth and being separated from your mother. You scream your head off. And when you don't get what you need, you completely wear yourself out and you're still completely stressed out. You just have literally no energy left to fight basically. And you essentially go limp and just sit there and you just exist. And that's exactly what happened. My husband said he screamed his head off until they got in the nursery. They put him under a hood for oxygen and he just went limp and just laid there and stared, like stopped crying. He was fine. He wasn't like limp in a scary way where he needed medical attention. He was just done, like worn out. And he said it was the saddest thing to witness and we know now, obviously, that that was a biological response to being separated from your mother at birth. Like, that's not normal. Right. Um, so the hospital there was just a disorganized mess. And they took me to recovery. And I kept asking to see the baby, asking to see the baby. Nobody was bringing him to me. They weren't giving me any updates. My husband had my phone, so I couldn't even, like, call him to find out what was happening. So my parents had walked back in to come be with me so that I wasn't alone. And they kicked my parents out. So I was completely alone, throwing up, wanting my baby, bleeding, like just, it was really, really terrifying. Why did, did they give you a reason as to why they wouldn't let your parents be in recovery with you? Only the baby and baby's father is allowed in recovery. Oh my gosh. It's the biggest oh. of bull crap. Like it that's is. not a thing. <laughs> Seriously. Like it's not a thing. They wouldn't let my doula in. Cause what we were hoping was that if he had to go with the baby to the NICU for any reason, my doula would be able to step in. That didn't happen. Like, I don't know why they were the way they were that hospital. I have learned since then has really figured some stuff out and has gotten a lot better with all of that, which I'm really happy to hear. But when six years ago, it was, it was not good. So eventually my baby was actually stabilized, but they couldn't get in touch with the pediatrician to discharge him from the nursery. So they wouldn't bring him to me. My gosh. I'm yeah. so sorry. So it was like 
hours. And my nurse kept saying like, your son is stabilized. I don't know why they're not bringing him. I need to find out. And, but she was, you know, she was my nurse. She wasn't the baby nurse. So she had to make sure I was stable. She got me into a recovery room and my parents were there finally. Meanwhile, my parents had already met the baby. My husband had met the baby. I hadn't seen him yet. Finally, the nurse was like, this is ridiculous. I'm going to get your baby. Like they can't be doing this to you. They were just dropping the ball. It was like an admin problem, literally. Right, like paperwork, policy, like yeah. nothing to do with nothing to actual do with humans. Exactly, exactly. And it's like, if you actually care about the wellness of the child, you're going to bring him to his mother, but no. And I mean, thankfully they didn't give him any bottles or anything, but he was how many hours old and had not latched, had not had any milk, like... I'm glad they didn't give him a bottle, but still like, okay, he's getting how old you're going to start causing blood sugar problems and stuff. If you don't get him nursing, like, what are you doing? But my husband, actually, the nurse walked out of the room and turned right back around because my husband was walking in with the baby. My husband told them he was like, this is getting ridiculous. I'm taking my child to my wife now because you are not going to be the reason that she has postpartum depression. Like, she needs to latch this baby and you are causing more problems than you're solving right now. Good for him. So yeah. So they brought the baby and I mean, it was, it was a really traumatic recovery. Like I did suffer from postpartum depression and anxiety. My son has major anxiety, which I will to my grave believe is because he was separated for no reason, but it really inspired me to have a better birth next time where I am more educated and I learn how to advocate for myself better and speak up for myself. And that's exactly what happened. The, my next son, two years later, almost to the day, they are exactly seven days apart from being two years. I had my whole pregnancy was with the same practice that did my C-section because there were only two practices in town and only one practice did VBACs. The other one didn't do VBACs. And like I said, my surgeon from the get-go was like, we're going to make sure you have a feedback next time. So I appreciated that attitude, but I really wanted a whole different experience. I wanted a home birth. I wanted an unmedicated birth. Um, I wanted a water birth and I couldn't get that there. We were in a small town in South Carolina, like not many options. So we actually were going to drive about two and a half hours to Greenville to give birth, but I got really sick of driving out there for appointments. I'm like, this isn't happening. <laughs> There's no way this is going to work in labor. Especially so, with a toddler in tow too. Yeah, exactly. So we were like, no, don't think this is the way this is going to work. So we decided to just go ahead and back with that same practice. I had an amazing midwife. I would go into every appointment with the ACOG guidelines for VBACs printed out and certain things highlighted. And when they would say something, I'd be like, well, the guidelines say, well, the <laughs> guidelines say, and we talked about induction one time and they were like, we really want you to go into labor by 40 weeks, blah, blah, blah. We'll schedule your C-section for 41 weeks. If you haven't gone into labor yet. And I'm like, no, um, if it gets to that point, I would like to be induced. We're not going to a repeat C-section. Well, we can't induce a V-back. And I pulled out my little guidelines and I was like, yes, you can. <laughs> Good for you. That's awesome. It is, but it made me really mad because their response to that was, okay, yeah, we can actually talk about it, but we just really don't offer that unless people know that's an option. Wow. And they straight up said that? Yes. Wow. That, let that be 
something yeah. that people note from this is yeah. unless you're willing to advocate for yourself, a lot of that just gets swept to the side and they just kind of do what they routinely do, whether it's evidence-based or not. Yeah. Um, this practice served a lot of low income families. So it's mind blowing to me that, I mean, it's not, unfortunately it's not actually mind blowing, but I would like it to be mind blowing that they actually are going to gatekeep information and not even tell people what their options are Mm -hmm. unless you come in knowing. And most of their demographic isn't going to know. I hate to say that, but it's the truth. And it's just, that, that was very angering to me, but I also appreciated that I didn't have, like, I did have to fight, but it was like, I knew how to fight for myself the right way that they didn't push back. So was there anything that you did during that pregnancy, knowing that you wanted to have a VBAC, obviously other than like the research you had done and the information that you brought to your appointments? Yeah. So I did chiropractic care from the second trimester all the way to the end. Um, In the second trimester, I think I went every other week, third trimester, I was going every week. And then by the end, a couple times a week. So I feel like the chiropractor made a huge difference. And I worked really hard to make sure my nutrition was like super top notch because I didn't want to be in a situation where I was dealing with preeclampsia or something. So I made sure I had a high protein diet and I was crazy about taking vitamin C because I did not want my water to break early and put me on a time clock. Um, High protein diets and vitamin C can make your amniotic sac stronger. So that really in my experience helped me, I think. So I finally went into labor at 40 weeks, five days. Well, I went into labor at 40 weeks, four days. He was born 40 plus five. I was in labor for 36 hours and I had the same OB that I had for my um, C-section. She was the one who happened to be on call that day. Um, The midwife that I loved and had been there through my whole pregnancy was the one on call. So I had both of them there during most of my labor. The hospital had a policy that for any VBACs, the OB has to be in-house. A lot of hospitals have that policy, but this often sets up a problem because basically they want to put you on a time clock because what OB wants to be there for 36 hours, if that's how long your labor is, right? So I went in like probably like 15 hours into labor. I think I was there for 20 hours or 22 hours or something like that from the time I got there till he was born. But my OB was there the entire time. She did not complain once. She did not rush me once. I I had a really supportive team. I feel like it was only because I did fight so hard. And um, when I got there, I actually refused to sign the C-section consent forms because a lot of people who have given birth in the hospital know that even if you're not planning a C-section, they'll have you sign consent forms ahead of time in case of an emergency. I wouldn't do that. I told them, no, I will sign it if it comes to it. And that's that, like I refused to sign it. So they didn't know what to do with that. And so they brought the OB in and my husband was an amazing advocate. And this is why it's so important for husbands to listen and just learn with your wives and be advocates for your wife, because I was contracting hard. Like I couldn't sit there and pressure myself. And he told her, he was like, I need you to tell me all the reasons that you're going to give her a C-section, like that you would want to give her a C-section. And I'm going to tell you if that's acceptable. 
Wow. Good for him. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, he was, he was amazing. And she was like stunned. <laughs> and she's like giving reasons. And he's looking at me like, is that good? Is that bad? <laughs> and um, he, she said, you know, like failure to progress. And he goes, okay, well, how do you define that? And he, she's like, well, you know, like she couldn't really give a good definition like she wasn't really sure it would depend on this and that which I appreciate on one hand that she's gonna like take it more case by case but it also kind of made me really nervous about what if I stall what if I stall and guess what I did I stalled at five centimeters for probably eight nine hours and she did not say a word about a single intervention did like she never uttered the word c-section the words Pitocin were not suggested until about three hours before he was born. I mean, they were overall very supportive. They did not say, can I break your waters? Like they knew that I knew my options and I would ask for them when I needed them. And as long as baby was fine, they left me alone. And the OB was there for 20 some hours with me. She'd check in when she would check in. Um, and eventually I pushed my baby out after an hour and a half of pushing. I did get Pitocin and an epidural about three hours before he was born because I had sat at eight centimeters again for about five hours. He had a compound hand, which is why my labor was so long, which for people who don't know what that means, his hand came out with his head. His hand was actually the first thing that, so I had a mirror as I was pushing so I could see, and his hand was the first thing I saw. And I started freaking out because I thought I had a tumor that nobody was telling me about. Oh no. <laughs> and I was so scared to ask what it was. <laughs> and in the moment too, you're not exactly like in your rational mind, you're in like labor land. And so I can imagine seeing that would kind of throw you for a little bit of a loop. Off, and I'm like, that is not normal, but I don't want to ask what it is because I don't want the answer. I don't want someone to think I'm an idiot if it is normal. Like I'm just like, so I feel like I was probably a little too focused on that and that might've made pushing harder, but, um, I mean, an hour and a half pushing for the first time vaginal delivery is not bad with an epidural. Mm -hmm. So I'll take it. I'll take it. He was nine pounds, four ounces. The OV, like the words out of her mouth, First of all, as he's crowning, she started cheering. She was like, give me a V, V, give me a B, B, and like all the way, all the way to V back. <laughs> it was so fun. And then, um, what did she say? She was like, as soon as he was born, she was like, Jamie, I think he's bigger than your first son. And he's a V back. And we weighed him and he was exactly a pound bigger. So my first son, my C-section baby was eight pounds, four ounces. My V-back baby was nine pounds, four ounces. And everybody yeah. was like, you just beat all of the odds, especially in South Carolina. Like V-back stats in South Carolina at that time were in the tank. I mean, they pretty much are still across the country anyway, but they were not good there. So everybody was just like, you just V-backed a gigantic baby. It was amazing. It was a great experience. When she left, I told her, I was like, I'm so sorry for being difficult and cantankerous, basically. And she's like, don't, don't apologize to me. You did what you had to do to get the birth you wanted. I just want to note, too, that I feel like sometimes we feel like we're being so difficult by mm -hmm. asking for what we want and advocating for ourselves. And 
I'm, I'm not saying like it's wrong to feel like that or anything like that, but I just wish that it wasn't that way because right. it's almost it like you shouldn't have trained. to feel like that. Right. Like we've been trained to think that advocating for ourselves makes us difficult and it doesn't, that's not being difficult. You're just advocating for yourself. It shouldn't be a big thing. Right. But it is, but her response was very, like, I just felt so supported by her and I, I will encourage everybody to use the midwifery model of care all day, every day. I will say, get away from your OB all day, every day. But I will also say there are good OBs out there and there are supportive ones. And I was blessed to have an amazing OB who really made sure I got the birth I wanted. Because if I had had anybody else with a different attitude and a different approach, it could have been a lot worse. So then what was that immediate postpartum time like, and then just transitioning into going home as well? Yeah, it was amazing. Um, we were actually getting ready to move. My husband's in the military, so we were getting ready to move. So it was chaotic, but it was amazing. It, like literally everything was amazing, except for the fact that my IV that I got in the hospital, first of all, they had a horrible time getting it in. It ended up getting infected. So the whole first week of his life, I couldn't use my left arm because it was swollen right in my, like the crook of my elbow. So it made nursing really hard when you can't use your left arm. But other than that, it was amazing. Did you get <laughs> that immediate skin to skin time and get yeah. to so, nurse so right I, away and all of that? Yes and no. They took him right away because there was a lot of meconium and they like took him over to the table and dried him off and suctioned him. And I did not want them to do that, but whatever. Like not ideal, but it was what it was. They brought him back to me pretty quickly. And I actually, he was nursing and I remember him latching and the um, OB was trying to get the placenta to detach because it was, you know, taking too long for what they prefer. And he started nursing. And I remember him, her saying, good job, Camden, and pulling the placenta out right after he had latched. So I just appreciated that she acknowledged that him being there and nursing and latching helped the placenta come out. Mm -hmm. Didn't like she, in my opinion, she still rushed it, but she didn't rush it to the standards of most hospitals. So that was great. Um, we did, we had skin to skin. He slept on my chest all night in the hospital like we co-slept in the hospital it was amazing just literally amazing they were actually really great in postpartum too because I was co-sleeping with him and I know a lot of hospitals will like tear you a new one for that but they came in and we actually all slept all night long and the next morning the nurse came in and goes I couldn't wake you guys like I didn't have the heart to wake you guys you looked so peaceful sleeping together I just so like I didn't do any checks overnight but I'm here now and I'm like wow thank you yeah I feel like that's unheard of yeah it was I felt like I was in another universe honestly and even like we don't circumcise our boys and I was expecting to get hell from them about circumcising and everything and one of the nurses was like good for you and I'm like you guys are supporting all of my weird decisions what is happening <laughs> um I felt like a whole alternate universe so that was it was it was great honestly it was everything that you could ask for but I did still have just like some trauma from 
the IV situation that I had and how I really did not want an epidural. The anesthesiologist was probably the most annoying provider because I'm a redhead. So I don't know if you're aware, but we basically metabolize pain medication fast and anesthesia fast. So it takes more epidural for me to feel it, like to have the effects of it. She was getting mad that she was giving me so much medication and it wasn't working enough for her. But I was like, no, this is perfect. I can feel it. But I also feel like I can feel my baby and I can feel contractions, but I can feel the pain relief too. And she felt like I should be more numb than I was and kept trying to like push that. And I'm like, why? (laughs) Yeah, just leave it alone. Yeah. Like, why are you trying to give me more and more medication? So that was frustrating. And just there, you know, there were some nurses that had attitudes and others that were amazing. And I just, I was really that whole atmosphere. I didn't love it. And I had a lot of anxiety going back into the hospital for my third pregnancy. Um, For my third pregnancy, I was in a new state and I was seeing midwives who do both hospital and home birth. So they were amazing. You know, I had already had one VBAC. So everyone's like, yeah, of course you can have a VBAC. Like nobody's fighting me on it. However, the state that we lived in was basically like, I don't care if you've had one VBAC, you still can't have a midwife attend a home birth for a VBAC. So so you said, sorry, these midwives were in the hospital and also did home birth? Yeah. So they do both. Oh, that's, I've just never heard that before. That's interesting. I mean, I've heard of like a birth center attached to the hospital or no, not even that. I feel like I've only heard independent birth centers while they'll do a birth center birth or a home birth, but not hospital and home birth. So that's really cool. They take a very limited amount of clients. It was like two midwives in the practice. They take a limited amount of clients. And if you're a candidate for home birth, they'll do home birth. And if you can't be a candidate for home birth, they'll attend you in the hospital. They're really amazing. They, I have a lot of friends who birthed with them who were amazing. Like they were all like, it was the closest thing to a home birth I could have expected in the hospital. So it's a really great resource for people in that area. But I just had a lot of anxiety about being in the hospital again. I felt like if I had been in the hospital for my third daughter's birth, like, I don't know, just something was telling me I couldn't give birth to her in the hospital. It just kept like coming up in my heart. Like, this is not the place to be. I would walk into the hospital and have a panic attack. And because I was a VBAC, in order for them to attend me at the hospital, their contract with the hospital basically said that I was required to see an MFM doctor even though I wasn't high risk because I was a VBAC and I went to this MFM and he like laid into me, even though I had already had a baby once, but he was like, that nine pound baby was huge. Like that's unheard of. You can probably have another VBAC, but only if the baby's not too big, only if it's in the right position and you know, you can't do this at home. Right. And you're like, uh, wrong. (laughs) I was so mad. I like, He didn't know it at this time. And my other midwives didn't know it. I was actually seeing a home birth midwife under the radar anyway. And we were planning a home birth. (laughs) Like we were not telling them this. So when did Um, you talk a little bit about like when you came to that realization that you wanted to switch to home and then how you found 
your midwife. And was your husband on board at this point too with a home yeah. birth? So he was a hundred percent on board with a home birth. Like his only concern was money. So <laughs> he wanted nothing to do with hospitals if we didn't have to. I knew from early on that I didn't want a home birth or a hospital birth, but I felt like I didn't have an option. And we were going back and forth with our decisions. Well, I was well connected. I'm not going to say where we were just because the midwife was not allowed to attend my birth, but she did anyway. Sure. No, um, but where we lived, I had, I was connected with the birth community. It was really well connected. So I had already established a relationship with this midwife before I was even pregnant. So she was very supportive knowing my birth history and knowing that I was educated and informed. She was happy to support me in a home birth. We just had to, you know, kind of fly under the radar a little bit. We went through a lot of options. We looked into um, seeing a midwife that was across state lines and getting a hotel or an Airbnb because it was only like 45 minutes to the state line where we could have an out-of-hospital home birth with a midwife. But that just didn't set right with us. We didn't meet the right midwife. I mean, we met with everybody. We just couldn't find someone that clicked with us. Um, And then it kind of was like, okay, we're just going to have to do this in the hospital. And then my husband got orders to deploy the last week of my pregnancy. So, I mean, we got the orders ahead of time, but his like ship out date was the last week of my pregnancy. So we were like, great, you might not even be here for this. There's, I was like, there's no way I can do this in the hospital without you. Like, I need you if I'm going to be in the hospital, because there's literally no one who's going to be able to calm my anxiety the way you can. So we have to do this at home. Like, I have to do this at home and I can't do it unassisted because we we had thrown around unassisted for a while. And I was like, I can't do it unassisted if you're not here. So we have to do this midwife thing. And so that's kind of when we pulled the trigger and we're like, nope, we're getting that out of hospital midwife. This is how we're doing it. And by God's grace, after we made that decision, he found out that his deployment got pushed back and he was, he didn't deploy until my daughter was three weeks old. So I cannot imagine that roller coaster of emotions (laughs) just from that alone, like thinking he may not be there and then getting things set and figured out and then they change and get pushed back a little bit. So I'm sure that was a relief of some sort. Honestly, I feel like it just had to happen that way to push us to make the right decision Mm -hmm. because I spent almost all of my second trimester, like sobbing every day. Like my poor husband would come home from work and I'd be cooking dinner and it'd be burning on the stove while I'm sitting on the floor sobbing. Like I just like felt so cornered, but it worked out and we had my daughter at home and it was an amazing experience. We tried not to tell our families for a long time that we were planning a home birth and we ended up telling them, but we only told our moms. We were like, don't tell our dads (laughs) because neither of them would have been okay with it. So did you continue to see the hospital-based providers and the home birth midwife at the same time through your whole pregnancy then? Or at what point was there a switch? I saw them both the whole time. And I told the um, home birth midwives at my like 39 week appointment, I was like, by the way, I'm not coming to the hospital. And she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not coming to the hospital just so you know. (laughs) And she was like, we kind of just went with the story. We were doing it unassisted because we didn't want to oust that other midwife. Mm -hmm. But um, they were like, 
well, we can't really condone you, but we're still your midwives and we still support you. And it's your decision to make. So this is what you need to know to be safe. Please call us if you need anything. Good luck. I mean, that's not the worst reaction that I've no, heard. No, not at all. They actually, um, I ended up seeing them two days after she was born to get my Rogam shot because I needed that. And I like, if I got it through them, insurance would pay for it kind of thing. So, and they did like oxygen checks on her and stuff. So it was kind of the best of both worlds. They, mm-hmm. I just called them and I was like, Hey, the baby was born. And they were like, okay, come on in. You can't ask for better. I mean, they were not thrilled, but right. <laughs> um, one of my friends actually attended a birth with one of the midwives after that. Cause she's a doula also. And she was like, yeah, I saw Elizabeth and she was just like, I'm so glad Jamie got the birth she wanted. And so I could tell that like one of the midwives was a little more supportive, but not, she had her concerns rightly so because she is a medical professional and she, you know, she didn't want it to be her butt on the line. Right. I feel like they can't outwardly say like, we support you in this, have a great birth and come see us after because that's a liability for them. Exactly. And I know they had, um, I know they had some legitimate reservations. Like what if this happened? What if that happened? What would you do? Like I've got, I had reservations about the whole idea. Honestly, I'm not sure anyone who doesn't have some reservation and concern, but you just have to weigh which concerns concern you more. Did you do anything differently to prep for this VBAC at home compared to no. prepping for the VBAC in the hospital? No, really just changing where I was doing it was the only thing that really, that that's really what it was, was changing the location, the birth setting, the provider. I was a lot stronger in my faith with my daughter's birth. And I think that made a big difference feeling like I was accepting of God's will, whether that was what I wanted or not, but I needed to make sure that what I was doing was in line with his plan and not out of fear, whether that was out of fear of the hospital or out of fear of an emergency at home. Like, weighing that and trying to like discern that was actually really difficult. Just making sure like, I'm not making a reckless decision because I'm afraid and actually putting myself at risk. Like, so that was, I mean, that was something that we definitely prayed on a lot, but it worked out and it was, it was perfect. It was every version of perfect. You can imagine I gave birth to her standing up, clenching my husband's neck Basically, we have an amazing picture where he's got a handprint on his neck because I was squeezing him so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, take us take us to the beginning of labor and kind of through labor leading up to birth. So my (laughs) we actually had an appointment with the midwives, the hospital midwives the night before. And I remember they were like, you know, if you don't go into labor by next week. Are you going to come back? Like what's the plan going to be? And that is one reason I wanted to stay with them is if I ended up needing an induction for some reason, I wanted to have somebody I trusted. So, um, we, I was like, I'm not even going to talk about induction until I'm 41 weeks. And I was 40 plus four. All my babies are born 40 plus five. Um, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So I was 40 plus four and I was really mad because I wasn't in labor yet. And with my son before that I was in labor at 40 plus four. So 
I was like, I'm going to be pregnant forever. This is the longest I've been pregnant. This is terrible. Blah, 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 blah. We went home and my husband was like, I want Panda Express for dinner. And I'm like, that's disgusting. You're gross. <laughs> and we go through the drive-thru and he orders Panda Express. And I don't know what came over me. I literally grabbed it out of his hands and was like, go in and get yourself another one. And I devoured his. Um <laughs> And my stomach got so upset. I'm like sitting there eating this and I'm cramping so bad. And I'm like, God, I'm making myself sick, but this tastes so good. And he's like, what is happening to you? <laughs> like, what is this? <laughs> Looking back, it was not the Chinese food. I was in early labor and I just thought it was the disgusting food I was eating. <laughs> Um, giving me stomach aches, but we got home. I was miserable the rest of the night. My stomach hurt and I'm like, I'm going to die. We went to bed and around two o'clock in the morning, I woke up and I'm like, mm, I think I just peed myself a little. I'm going to go to the bathroom, sat down, peed. Okay. We're good. Laid back in bed. Mm, I just peed and I'm peeing myself again. This doesn't make sense. Went to the bathroom again, came back, like did this three or four times. And then I had a bigger contraction and I was like, oh, I don't think I'm peeing myself. My water broke, <laughs> but I was not convinced that my water had broken. So the contractions were slowly getting more intense. And I went downstairs and just ate some oatmeal with flaxseed and blueberries. I'm like, I'm going to just give myself a lot of nourishment, try and um, ignore this. I ended up going to the bathroom and I had a contraction just kind of standing over the toilet because I... I don't know. I was like trying to figure out if it was my water that had broken or not. It was weird. You do weird things when you're in labor. And so I'm just like standing over the toilet and I had a contraction and lost fluid with it. But I also lost like my mucus plug and had some bloody show. So I was like, okay, this, yeah, my water broke and I'm in labor, but I never hit a normal labor pattern like at all. I would have three or four contractions really close together and then nothing would happen for 15, 20 minutes. And that's the pattern that I went for about 12 hours. My midwife came over, contractions were getting stronger. Like I was obviously in labor, but it would stop half hour, 20 minutes. And then it, I'd have a cluster of contractions and then it would stop. The baby was fine. So we were like, we'll just keep going with this and see what happens around lunchtime. I remember things were feeling more intense. I was feeling nauseous. I had started to throw up at that point. I took a nap, woke up, threw up kind of thing. And then it got really intense after that. Um, and the contractions finally hit what would be considered more of a normal labor pattern. But it didn't seem like it just wasn't what I had expected, I guess, if that makes sense. And before I knew it, I was pushing, but I didn't know I was pushing. And then I'm like, oh, I need to get in the tub. I need to get in the tub because I wanted a water birth. And I got in the tub. <laughs> I have a really funny story. I had been using candles. And my husband was always making sure to put the candles at like the one end of the tub where my feet always were so that I wouldn't knock them over, catch my hair on fire. For some reason, when I went to get in the tub, when I started pushing I got in the tub the opposite direction and I laid my head back and set my oh. hair on fire. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is while you were it. like in the middle of labor. 
Yeah. yeah like, you said I as was, you're getting ready to push. I was pushing. Yeah. Like I'm like very early stages of pushing, like not hundred percent sure that's happening, but I'm like in full on panic because I just go into panic mode during transition. And I like, yeah, I set my hair on fire. I didn't even know it. I heard the midwife yell about my hair being on fire. And I heard people yelling, oh my God. And then I smelled it. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) I didn't even care. (laughs) This is fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, I'm like, whatever. (laughs) There's a pretty great picture of the look on my face when I realized my hair was indeed on fire. Um, So yeah, when everybody's like, you need flameless candles. I thought that was bullcrap. You need flameless candles. That's amazing. (laughs) Just do the flameless candles or make sure they're on the opposite side of the room if you're using a flame because not not even close to you at all because something weird is going to happen um I could not get comfortable trying to push in the tub and so I remember I kept like pulling my body out of the water and the midwife was like if you are going to give birth in the water you need to stay under water you can't be halfway in halfway out and that's just because they don't want the baby to hit air and then go into the water so I was like, well, I can't do this, but I can't get out of the tub. And I don't know what happened. People lifted me up. I somehow got out of the tub. I put no effort into that. Um, I was standing in the bathroom and then I started kind of panicking and doing this little like run around with like a chicken with my head cut off thing. I ended up standing in my bedroom, holding onto my husband and I pushed out my baby. I caught her and brought her up to my chest. Everything about it was amazing. She was, we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl. And we were hoping for a girl, but we had, I had no intuition whatsoever. And it was a girl and my mom was there and she, my mom was like, not really on board with home birth. The whole thing really kind of was weird to her, but she was there to watch the older kids. So she was downstairs and she heard me screaming. Like I was screaming bloody murder just because I was so excited. (laughs) Oh, so that was like after baby was born. Yeah. Like (laughs) I I screamed bloody murder for her to be born. Like I am a birth screamer. I scream in birth, but she, um, she was born and I screamed for my mom. Like I just started, like, I just started screaming for my mom and she came running and it was so funny because my son was running up the steps and the bedroom door was open and my mom like pushed him out of the way and charged. I had never seen my mom run like that before. Come to find out like afterward, she didn't realize the baby had been born and she thought something was wrong. So she was like terrified and like running to save her baby. And she came in and saw that the baby was born and crying and she just started like crying and it was really beautiful. It's just the whole thing. It was like magical. And I never, I had always heard people say birth could be amazing and birth could be magical, but I never truly believed it until then. Like we still look back on it. I feel like I'm going to cry now just talking about it because it was so magical. My husband was just, I've never seen him so happy. So just in awe and like amazed. The whole thing was amazing. She was 10 pounds, four ounces. <laughs> so, okay. Your, your first was eight, four. Your second was nine, four. And this one was 10, four. Yes. Wow. It gets better. That is awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it was amazing. 
and we could not believe that she was 10 pounds, four ounces and 22 inches long. And I, to this day, believe that if I had been in the hospital with the labor pattern I had, where it never really picked up until the end, I believe I would have been given Pitocin to get things normal. Right. And I believe I therefore would have ended up asking for an epidural because I am weak. And if it's available, I was asking for an epidural at home. Like, I'm like, I want an epidural now. Let's go to the hospital. And they're like, you're not going to make it to the hospital. Shush. Like, <laughs> be quiet. <laughs> um, I know that if we had been there, I would have gone for those interventions as much as I didn't want them in the moment I would have. And I know that she was like posterior, not really posterior. She was like half posterior and she had her elbow up and I felt her spin and I felt her elbow. Like it hurt so bad. And the midwife actually said that she like pulled her hand down as she was coming out. So it was up by her face and she pulled it down so she could come out. I moved around so much while I was pushing. I was pushing for only like 20 or 30 minutes and I moved positions. Like I was on the side of my bed and then I was in the tub and then I was up out of the tub and then I was in my bedroom. Like I moved positions so much that I know it was necessary to move like that, to get her out. And I don't think she would have come out if I was, if I had an epidural and wasn't able to move around and listen to my body. So I, I firmly believe that if I had been in the hospital, she would have been a repeat C-section. Like, I know there's no way to know that for sure, but I, I will believe it till the day I die. I'm so glad that you brought that up because with just going back to the contraction pattern that you were having, that was probably intentional on behalf of your body to help Mm -hmm. get her into a good position. Like because she was a bigger baby, sometimes you see those irregular contraction patterns when baby is maybe misaligned or Mm -hmm. just needs a little bit of help rotating or whatever is going on. I mean, we don't always know, obviously, but yeah, things probably didn't pick up and become regular until she was in that ideal position. And then your baby helped herself be born too by moving her hand and then telling your body how to move and what to do because you were able to listen to your body and your intuition. So I'm I'm just so glad you mentioned that because I think sometimes we don't realize how much of a role the baby plays in birth. We think it's the mother who has to do everything, but the babies are working just as much as the mom's body is working too. They are. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's wild. It's, it's a wild thing to just think of and to go from having had a C-section where I felt like, oh, the baby wasn't in the right position. So we have to do the most dramatic thing to fix that and take care of it for the baby. Well, what if he did flip for a reason and he needed to be in that position and he could have been born that way? Like, we don't know. There's a reason that we can't just see into our bodies. I mean, obviously there's ultrasound and all of that, but our bodies are created the way that they are and they work that the way that they are for a reason. Exactly, exactly. And it that was just, yeah, looking back on that, And even with my second birth, I mean, you know, he had a compound hand. And so I know that's why my labor took longer and why it was harder, but there was also a lot of hesitation on my side because I was trying to have a VBAC. So having already had a VBAC and having that confidence kind of let me be able to trust my body and my baby better. Definitely. I think that took away a lot of the stress and maybe that's why it wasn't longer than it, like the longer labor, like my first was. Yeah. How long did you say this third baby was? 
from the time my water broke until she was born was about 15 hours, I think. But I wasn't really working hard for longer than probably seven, five. I don't, I don't know. At what point did your contractions become a little bit more regular from when you were like having the cluster contractions and a longer yeah, break? So I want to say around noon, they became a little more predictable, but it was still a very weird pattern. And then it was like, it didn't seem like it was till right when I was pushing that it was really like real. And she was born at five o'clock in the evening. So, and like my water broke at two o'clock in the morning. So I had always swore up and down that I was going to have her in a snowstorm so that I couldn't go to the hospital, even if I wanted to. And she was born in February and the day she was born, it, there was not a snowflake in sight. By the time she was born, we had three inches of snow on the ground. You know what's funny? I have heard multiple moms say that exact same thing. Really? So it's just, yeah, that that's always funny to me. Like, I just wanted something to happen where there was no way I was going to make it to the hospital anyway. And it just like solidified their decision yeah. to have their home birth. So that's that's really funny. I'm so glad that you said that. But this postpartum, it was amazing. Like as amazing as you could expect. I didn't know it could get better than it did with my second. And it was, it was great. I mean, I ate pizza right after she was born. Somebody brought me a slice of pizza and I just had her there. I had my boys with me. The whole family was there. The dog got to come see her. That was pretty cute. My placenta took its time to deliver. Um, we didn't cut the cord until after the placenta had actually been delivered and sat there for like a long time. So it was just a very different experience, a hundred percent different than my be back in the hospital. And I felt even more supported and I didn't know that was possible. And just being in your own home, in your own space, getting to get no. tucked into your own bed. It's so funny. My mom. Okay. The best feeling was the next morning. So we had that snow, right? I have these giant windows in the bathroom of that house. And they're just these big, giant, beautiful windows. And they overlook the woods. And so because it had snowed the night before, when we woke up, the sky was like that purpley, pinkish, February morning sky. And the sun was just barely glistening off the ice and snow on the trees. And that's what I woke up to with my baby next to me. Like, it was so magical just waking up and seeing that view, not being bothered by anybody and looking over and seeing my baby and my husband in bed next to me. Like, you don't get that in the hospital. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that's like an instant oxytocin high right there. Like that I sounds like so dreamy. Thinking about it, just thinking about it makes me like, oh, it was amazing. And even my mom the next day, she was like, you know, I wasn't about this whole home birth thing, but it sure makes life easier, doesn't it? I'm like, yep. She was, she was simply like, I'm so glad I don't have to worry about trying to bring the boys to come visit you in the hospital and deal with all that hoopla, like. Yeah. You just all get to be together. Yeah. We're just here. So obviously with my fourth, I was like, well, I'm never going back to a hospital. We're doing that again. Did you use the same midwife? So that was a little bit of a situation. I was going to use the same midwife and I had started care with her, but she just had some personal things in her life that like halfway through the pregnancy, I was like, I don't think this is working. And she was like, I was like, I really think you need to take care of yourself. I think she was just getting burned out, honestly, because 
So my son was born 2020 or 2021. So this year. So last year, we really only had a couple midwives in our area that were doing home births. And with COVID, they had such an increase in clients that they were getting so burned out. Mm-hmm. So I think she was just completely burned out. And I told her, I was like, look, you are, I feel like you're not as present as you need to be. I'm not sure what's going on. I know you're burned out. I need you to focus on you. And I need to focus on this pregnancy. Like I can't be dealing with you trying to give me everything and not being able to. So that was a little sad that I ended up having to end care with her and find a different midwife. Luckily, I did have connections with somebody who was able to attend my birth. But it was it was a it was just different. The whole experience was just different. The pregnancy was different. I think there was just a lot more stress in the world that made it just much more stressful. I think I was very afraid that something was going to go wrong at the last minute and I was going to end up in the hospital and I didn't know what I was going to do having a hospital birth after having a home birth, like how I mentally process that. So I kind of put myself into an unnecessary fear pattern with that. But the midwife that I was seeing, I mean, she was great. I (laughs) had multiple rounds of false labor. And I don't like the word false labor. This was false labor. Like thought my water broke, tested it and it tested positive for amniotic fluid, but my water didn't actually break. (laughs) Yeah. That can be a roller coaster in itself too. Yeah. It was, it was hard because I was contracting along with it. I was contracting every five minutes and it was getting more intense. It was lasting a minute long. And then it would stop and then it would start again and then it would stop. But I was in the mindset like, well, that's how it happened with my daughter. So I'm not surprised if it's happening that way again. And at what point in pregnancy did that start at? uh, 37 weeks. And so we were like, this is early, but I mean, it's possible. It's my fourth baby. Like, um, And you said all your babies were born at 40 and five. 40 and five. Well, he was technically 40 and six, but I went into labor with him 40 and five and he was born at two o'clock in the morning on 40 and six. So I count it as 40 and five. Yeah. Close (laughs) enough. (laughs) But that's, I mean, you had three weeks of that then leading up to actual labor and birth. Yeah. And I think there was a lot of mental stuff too, because I wanted to make sure that family was there. Our family was three hours away. So I wanted to make sure that the family was there to watch the kids. I felt like I had to have this baby by the time my parents moved because my parents were moving to Florida. So they weren't going to be three hours away anymore. So I just, I felt like a lot of pressure, not really from anyone else, from myself, but I felt a lot of pressure to have this baby by a certain time. And so I think everything, I just perceived everything as labor, even when it wasn't. But my, I did this whole, like my water broke thing multiple times. I apparently I just had a really weak pelvic floor. I don't mean, I really don't know what happened there, but we thought my water had broken. The midwife was just like flabbergasted at the midwife pattern or at the um, contraction pattern. And we thought my water broke and nothing was happening. And she couldn't even feel my, like I asked her to check for my cervix. She couldn't even feel it. It was posterior. And we were like, that's weird. As a fourth time mom, like, why like my cervix even with my first I was like three centimeters dilated or something at 38 weeks why am I why is there nothing 
did she ever say anything about like maybe it was I, I've just heard of having pockets of water that break, but it's yeah. not like your entire amniotic sac that completely yeah. explodes, but just like little pockets and then it can reseal. Did she ever yep. say anything about that? That's, that's kind of what we talked about. And we were like, we're not really sure. I got myself worked up to the point where I was like, I need to go to the hospital and get induced and blah, 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 blah. Like, this is ridiculous. And I was a wreck. Like I literally packed bags to go to the hospital. <laughs> Well, that's a lot mentally just to deal with on yeah. an ongoing basis for three and a half weeks, almost four weeks. Yeah, I packed. Well, so it was like right after the first time this happened, it was like 48 hours. I packed my bags for the hospital and was like, we're going. And my husband's like, you need to slow your roll. Like, let's talk to her again. So we like talked to the midwife again. And she was like, why don't I send you for, gosh, what is that scan called? like an NST or biophysical yes. profile? Yes. yes, I went for those. She was she knew a place that she could send me in. They worked really well with home birth midwives, didn't ask any questions. It was a hospital, but because it was in a state where they allow VBACs at home, they like just literally didn't ask any questions, just did the scans and everything turned out fine. There was plenty of fluid, baby was fine no signs of any concern. So we were like, let's just wait this out and see what happens. Like maybe it'll reseal. Maybe it wasn't really amniotic fluid. Like who knows? And we just kind of cycled that for a couple of weeks. And that was very stressful. Very, very, very stressful. So stressful that by the time he was born, my parents had moved to Florida and were not three hours away anymore, which just added another layer of stress. My mom flew up. She was like, okay, well, if the baby's not born by this time, I'm going to fly up and stay with you for this long, but you have to have the baby before I leave. Thanks. Like that's more stress now. Like, right. <laughs> but it was helpful. It was helpful. And, um, so as this story goes, my, I'm going to rewind to my second pregnancy for a minute at 32 weeks, my son was still breech and we were, you know, like that's normal, but because of my history, I was a little panicky and I went on a motorcycle ride with my husband and my baby flipped on the motorcycle. Oh my God. <laughs> down and engaged. <laughs> and he stayed engaged from 32 weeks on. It was so funny. Cause we went back to my like appointment later, like the next week. And she was like, your baby's engaged. I was like, yep. She's like, <laughs> I was like, I, t I went for a motorcycle ride and he flipped and engaged. And she's like, what? Like, <laughs> you <"Yeah."> did what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was just this weird thing. So we're trying to get him out. And my husband's like, let's go for a motorcycle ride. And I'm like, I cannot even get on your motorcycle right now. Like, I, I can't even put on long pants because none of my pants fit. Like, even my maternity pants don't fit. And I'm not riding a motorcycle in gym shorts. So... <laughs> not going to happen. And he's like, just put my clothes on. It's really funny, but I started contracting on the motorcycle ride. And the next day I woke up and I was like, damn it, didn't work. We went to the midwife on the way there. I started having really strong contractions. I told my husband, I'm like, I think this is real. And he's like, yeah, I love you, but you've been saying that for like three weeks now. So Okay. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> so we went to the midwife and she's kind of the same. She's like, yeah, well, you know, we'll see. <laughs> like, 
we'll see. She goes, do you want me to check you? Like, I can check you. And if I can strip your membranes, we can do that if you want me to. And I was like, no, like, I don't want that. Like, cause I was so proud of myself going my daughter's entire pregnancy and labor with nobody inside my vagina. Like it was this weird pride thing. So I was like, I'm doing that again. No one's checking my cervix. And then I'm like, no, like we're about to leave. And my husband looks at me and he's like, are you sure? Are you going to regret, like, are you going to regret this? And I was like, yes, <laughs> I will go ahead, check me, strip me, do what you got to do. And she was like, okay, I can actually feel your cervix this time. And I can strip your membranes. Let's see how this goes. It was about an hour drive home. By the time we got home, I was like, I think I'm in labor. <laughs> so this um, was, this was with your fourth then. Right. Yeah, this is my fourth. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I'm getting all like, no, that's okay. The motorcycle ride was with your yeah. second baby. And the, then well, the, the motorcycle ride during pregnancy was with the second. And then with the fourth, I did it again. Oh, okay. Yes. So it was like that night I had contractions while we were on the motorcycle ride, but then nothing overnight woke up. It was 40 plus five. When I woke up, nothing was happening. And then we're driving down to the midwife's appoint like to my midwife appointment that day and she and you know everyone's like eh, probably not real you've been saying it was real for weeks now so whatever let's see turns out I was actually a little bit dilated could have been early labor weren't really sure I let her strip my membranes by the time we got home I was having like very noticeable contractions but I'm like she just stripped my membranes like even if that doesn't work I'm gonna be uncomfortable for a little bit like there's no way that's working this fast. So that was around noon on Friday. The day kind of went on and it was getting stronger, but it was, it was still very much early labor, but it was noticeable. And I'm like, mm, this is different. Like I'm telling my husband, this is different. This is different. And he's like, okay, okay. And then finally he was like, well, why don't you call Lydia, who is a friend of mine, who is also a doula. And he was like, why don't you call Lydia and see if she can come over and see what she thinks. So she comes over and she's like, yeah, you know, I think this might be like, this seems a little different than what you were experiencing before. I think this might be something. Let's see what happens. We hung out for a little bit after dinner. She got, she got there around five o'clock in the afternoon and we were hanging out after dinner. And then it just got to the point where I was like, I want to be in my room. Like, I don't want to be around my children. I just want to be in my room. I was having a weird pattern similar to what I had with my daughter. I'm like in my room and just kind of like, yeah, I want my husband in here and I want my friend Lydia in here and nobody else, like everybody else needs to stay away. My dog got really protective over me, like really, really protective. And that's how we kind of knew to like, this is different because my dog wouldn't let anybody near me. Um, we had to put her away <laughs> because every time somebody would touch me, she'd flip out. And she was, um, she was super stressed out. Like we made her stay out of the room and she laid by the door the whole time. Like she did not, like she was so mad that she wasn't allowed with me. So Lydia called the midwife and the midwife was kind of like, it sounds like she's still in early labor based off the pattern. And Lydia's like, yeah, but no, like I've been to a lot of births. Yeah. The pattern sounds like early labor, but the way she's acting doesn't. And also with the contraction pattern you had had with your third exactly. baby, that's not super abnormal then. Exactly. And I think just because this midwife wasn't at my birth with my third baby, so she didn't 
see how I was. I think she just wasn't really familiar with my weird normal. So, and you know, I had already kind of false alarmed her so many times. I, and she had like, she was having a baby boom. So I understand her being hesitant. And she was kind of like, oh, you know, like, we'll see. And then finally Lydia was like, no, I think, I think you should come. And she did. She came and she was like, yeah, you know, things seem to be picking up, but let's try and take a nap because we had all been awake for a long time. It was like midnight at that point. She's like, why don't we try and take a nap and see what happens? And I'm like, yeah, I want a nap because my contractions had fizzled out again. And just like, it seemed like they stopped and I was, I was angry. Oh my gosh. I had never been so angry. (laughs) So we took a nap at midnight and I put on the rosary in Gregorian chant to take my nap because that's how I fall asleep when I can't sleep. I play that and it like comforts me and I go to sleep. So it was about an hour and a half. I don't remember feeling a single contraction while I was sleeping. Not one. I woke up at 1.30 pissed because I was not contracting. And I was like, great. We just did this again, called in everybody again, and nothing's happening. And I started like raging. I was mad. I don't think I've ever been so mad in my life. I'm like yelling and I'm like, this baby's never going to be born. I don't understand why nothing's happening, blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm just losing it. And then I had a contraction and I'm like, yeah, well, it's just one contraction. Who cares? Like whatever. And I was standing in the bathroom when it happened. And my mom's like, Jamie, that's like, you've got like bloody show and everything. Like there's mucus. And I'm like, no, there's not. Like, I was just so insistent that nothing was happening. And I don't know why. I just, in my head, like, it was the same kind of nothing's happening pattern where it starts and stops. So nothing's happening. That was at 1.30 in the morning. Um, My mom, when she noticed the mucus, she was like, I'm getting the midwife. And she was downstairs sleeping on the couch. She brought the midwife up. The midwife's like, yeah, she's definitely in, like, active labor. (laughs) And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm sure you were just so mentally spent by that point, like with the starting and stopping and almost didn't want to believe that it could be true. Exactly. So it's just funny because like for so long, I was like, I swear I'm in active labor and everyone else is like, eh. And then they're like, you're in active labor. And I'm like, nah. And also with my daughter, you know, my water had broken so early and my water hadn't broken with him. Like, you know, we had all these situations where we thought my water had broken. And now I'm like, pretty deep into labor. I didn't know I was in as deep as I was and my water hadn't broken. So I'm like, no, nothing's happening. Like, don't try and lie to me. Don't try and coddle me. Nothing's happening. I started yelling about how I should have just gotten an induction, scheduled a C-section. Like I was pissed and being obnoxious to be completely honest. All that started when I woke up from my nap at 1.30 in the morning. He was born at 2.36. Oh, wow. So things went quick after that. Yeah. So I guess I was in transition. I, I've heard of people having like a pause in labor after they're dilated where they sleep and their body just needs to rest. So I don't know if I had just like really slowly and weirdly dilated. And then that nap just really gave me what I needed because it got so intense once it started and I was fighting it. Like I was fighting it. 
my water didn't break until a minute before he was born. And this is how amazing and smart our bodies are. Let me tell you, my water broke a minute before he was born and it was full of meconium, thick meconium. If my water had broken early, I would have been transferred to the hospital because of how much meconium there was. But my body waited to do that. I firmly believe that like our bodies know what they're doing. It was a different experience and it didn't in the moment feel quite as magical as with my daughter because I was basically just in doubt the whole time, like in, in denial. I do remember like I was pushing <laughs> and it just happened so fast that like, I remember being like, that's his head. Like that's his head. And saying that over and over. And my husband's like, what are you talking about? Because it like happened so fast from me being like, nothing's happening to that's his head. And I was kneeling on the side of my bed when he was born. And my husband was sitting on the bed, holding my hands. So he couldn't even really see what was happening. And I'm just like over and over, like that's his head. And my husband's just so confused. Like, why is she saying that? (laughs) It's funny, the little mantras you pick up during labor and birth. I know, I know. And um, my son, my six-year-old had actually heard me yelling and woken up at that point and came in and he sat right next to the midwife and watched the baby be born, which is just so sweet. They have the sweetest little connection because like my, my son literally saw him before anybody else did. <laughs> it was something else. He was born. I was really struggling. Like I got his head out and I couldn't get his shoulders out. I just couldn't, like, I just didn't have it in me to push again. Like I kept trying and nothing would happen. Um, So the midwife got a little nervous for a second, but he ended up releasing himself. She, it's really foggy for me. I felt like she ripped him out of me, but you know, like you're in a different world. You don't really know what's going on around you. She explained to me that like, she thought that he had a stuck shoulder. So she like went to try to release him. But the minute she touched him, he turned himself and came out. So she didn't really do much of anything to get him out. But he, I just started kind of panicking because I thought he was stuck and he, I just moved around and he moved himself out. I remember hearing my friend Lydia, my husband and my son just like saying Hail Mary like over and over while I was like pushing him out and that I feel like just really like I just, that's just like embedded in my head so that just really kind of grounded me in that those last few minutes to just do what needed to be done because I was being dramatic and like I can't do this anymore like, well you don't really have a choice <laughs> I wonder too I have no idea if this would be the case or not but you said since there was so much meconium in your water I wonder mm-hmm. if the reason why, like if his head came out and then it took a minute for his shoulders, Mm -hmm. sometimes babies get like that extra squeeze if they don't come out in like one full swoop during one contraction all the way. So I wonder again, if that was your body and your baby's body working together to try to squeeze some of that fluid out. And Mm -hmm. if he had maybe gotten a little bit of meconium, I don't know if he did or not, but maybe help get that out. Because he, I mean, he was pretty, you know, he was pretty purple when he was born, which is a variation of normal, but, um, his one minute Apgar was six. And for people who don't know that's six out of 10. So six is not like emergency, emergency, but it's 
pretty concerning. I instinctively grabbed him and started stimulating him. Like I flipped him over into a postural drainage position and just started like rubbing his back. And then he was fine. Like his five minute APGAR was nine, I think. I'm not really, I, that's a really good thought that you had there. I didn't really think of that because it was kind of scary right away. Cause I was like, he's not pink. Like my daughter was born pink. <laughs> he's not pink and he's not screaming and then he was fine so yeah Yeah, and I love that you mentioned just instinctually that you did that too because I think that sometimes that's one of the biggest concerns with home birth is well what if my baby needs resuscitation or doesn't come out breathing or different things like that like I feel like that's every mother's worst fear is that something is wrong with baby and I again I've heard so many stories of like, well, I didn't exactly know what I was doing. I just did it of like yeah. mothers suctioning stuff out of their baby's mouths with their mouths or doing postural drainage or whatever it might I be. I didn't even realize I did it, to be completely honest. Um, I'm a birth photographer. So my friend, I was really mad I didn't have a birth photographer, but my friend was taking pictures of my camera for me. And she had a picture of like that, like she like got the got it documented. And I'm like, wait. I did what? <laughs> like, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> That's incredible. Like your, yeah. your body just takes over and does what it innately knows to do. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but it's funny because even with all that going on, the first words out of my mouth, everybody's like, what's the first thing you said after your baby's born? Most moms are like, is he okay? The first words out of my mouth were, wow, look how much my stomach went down. <laughs> but it was like it wasn't as vain as it sounds like because I had I was on all fours and he was basically born onto the ground I had turned around and was like over top of him like on all fours so the fact that I was able to move I was just like amazed I was able to move easier than I could have 15 minutes prior (laughs) so I was just like how much my stomach went down already (laughs) my mom's like really It was funny. Um, And he didn't, he actually didn't open his eyes for a solid eight hours. His eyes were so swollen shut, like, because he had such a fat face that he didn't even open his eyes for eight hours. Do you know how much he weighed? I'm going to guess 11.4. That's what we all thought. That's what we all thought he was going to be. He was 10.4 and 22 inches. So exactly the same as your third? exactly the same oh my gosh that is so cool exactly the same so I've determined I give birth five days past my duty and my babies cap out at 10 pounds four ounces <laughs> that's what I was gonna say is maybe that's your limit then right there is 10-4 <laughs> the funny thing the really funny thing is um early on when I first got pregnant I told the midwife, I was like, so this is the day I conceived. This is technically my due date, but he's going to be born May 1st. And she's like, okay. And it's funny because I went through all of that, but I knew the whole time that he would be born May 1st because 40 plus five was the day before May 1st was that April 30th. But I just like, I knew in my bones, I knew that this is how it was going to happen because my son's birthday is January 1st. My daughter's birthday is February 1st, or I'm sorry, his birthday is June 1st. My birth, um, my daughter's birthday is February 1st. 
My other son's birthday is May 24th and my birthday is November 24th. So I was convinced my baby was going to be born on the 24th or the first, but the first was close to when I normally have my babies. So I was like, it's going to be like midnight on the first of May. Awesome. And you said 2 a.m., right? Yep. It was, it was 2.30 in the morning. So, I mean, yeah, basically. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a pretty good, I feel like that's <laughs> to the point, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. All the different patterns and just, Isn't it yeah, weird? learning how your body works. It's so cool. Isn't it weird? Like, it's so funny just looking back at it. I tell people like, yes, my kids were 8-4, 9-4, 10-4, 10-4. Three of them were born on the first. <laughs> So they were all born at 40 plus five or 40 plus six technically, but close enough. Nah, 40 plus five. It's, yeah, it's 40 <laughs> plus five. Like that's just what it is. Like, I don't care what anybody says. Um, so it depends cool. what time zone you were in, honestly. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's your loop right there. <laughs> so then tell us a little bit about that immediate and extended postpartum time. Cause you're still basically in, you're just past the fourth trimester. Yeah. Yeah. So he was born May 1st. Our movers came to move our stuff, pack our stuff and move us out May 20th. So yeah. Um, I don't really remember his newborn stage. I don't really remember postpartum because it was like, I just had to do things. We had him baptized a week after he was born. So that was kind of like my milestone was like, okay, we're going to get to his baptism and then we're going to start everything we need to do for our move. So that postpartum, like that first week was fine. My mom was there for a little bit. And then I think my mother-in-law came. I really don't remember to be honest. Actually, I don't think my mother-in-law came. We took the kids down to them. I, I don't remember it. I don't remember the first month. Well, that's a lot to have on your mind too. And then again, you have a newborn, but you also have three other children yep, and then preparing we, for a move. And yep, I know we got him baptized at one week old and at two weeks old, we took the kids to my in-laws, like the bigger kids to my in-laws so that they wouldn't be there when we were moving our stuff. And we were actually staying with my in-laws for a month before we moved to Texas. So we, um, we're moving a lot of our things down to them dropping the kids off and then coming back up to get the rest of the stuff packed. Then the movers came the same day. The movers came, I had to take the baby for his tongue and lip tie revision. So that was my postpartum busy. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, the first day I remember, I really, really remember besides his baptism is the day that the movers came because I remember getting his revision and coming back and seeing that the movers did a terrible job. I just can't deal with this. And my husband and I just packed up and went to go get dinner. And we were like, we'll finish the rest when we get back. And we got back and it was super late. And the movers had packed our air mattresses. And so we had to sleep on the floor because every hotel was packed. Like they didn't have any vacancies. So (laughs) I had to sleep on the floor at three weeks postpartum, which I do not recommend. No. Do not recommend. I could not move. I would, that was like probably the most miserable, but I have to say it was horribly like fast. It's a blur. I don't remember it. I feel like I missed out on his newbornness, but it also didn't give me time to wallow in any negative emotions either 
So I don't know if that's like a benefit. I was just kind of in like go mode, like just kind of robotic, just like we've got this stuff we've got to get done and then I'll deal with everything else. So once we were at my in-laws, I mean, we were there for a month and they live like way out in the country on the water, on the Chesapeake Bay. So we just chilled for a month and that was real nice. I'm just, I want to thank you just for keeping it real too. Like in yeah. what you were saying about like, oh, I scream during birth. I'm loud. I do all of this. Oh, and then I'm just with how postpartum has been. I You, you want to hear something funny? I'm completely obnoxious during birth and my mom hates it. She hates that I cuss when I'm in labor. Like I just, I lose my mind. I try so hard to be peaceful. It doesn't, it doesn't work for me. So she told one of her friends like, yeah, like she had the baby who was 10 pounds, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, she goes, wow, she's really tough. And my mom's like, well, she's screaming cussed the entire time. And her friend responded, yeah. And I screaming cuss when I stub my toe. Right. what do you expect? <laughs> and that just kind of put things into perspective for me to be like, yeah, like people it's yell okay. out of their toe. Like, why would you not scream and yell in labor? Like, that's perfectly normal. It is definitely perfectly normal. So now I'm just like, I don't care. People well, and that's that. why I wanted to mention it too, because I feel like so many people have this expectation of like, I'm going to be quiet and it's going to be peaceful. I'm going to have my music playing and then baby's just going to be here because home birth is so serene and so different. Right. And when they don't have that, I feel like sometimes it's easy to feel disappointed because you have this image yeah, in your yeah. head of like what it should be like. Oh, for sure. And I'm not going to lie. Like I didn't feel like this birth was as magical as my other home birth. I feel like I did a lot of processing on the back end, just, and I still am just because I mean, even as simple as like when my daughter was born, my husband and I were in such a good spot in our relationship. Well, marriages have ups and downs. We were getting ready for a move and my husband was TDY for a month before the baby was born. Like anybody who's in a military family knows that when you're going through a TDY and a PCS at the same time as having a baby, like your marriage is in a valley. It just, and so I feel like that, you know, played a role in like feeling frustrated with everything, but everybody came together to make sure that I was supported. And at the end of the day, it was like, I can have all the support in the world, but I also have to do the like mental gymnastics of accepting things that are not my will, accepting God's will, honestly. Right. There's a lot of surrender in pregnancy and birth and motherhood. There is. And I was not willing to surrender. Honestly, like I can say that, like I was not willing to surrender. And I know that's why it was so challenging because the whole time I was just, I wasn't surrendering to it being different, it being how it was. I wasn't just experiencing what was, I was trying to control it. And when I couldn't control it, I got angry. So I kind of, I guess I kind of had that experience of just play my music and be in a like hypnotic state for about an hour and a half. Cause I took my little nap with my Gregorian chant. And then I woke up and the demons came out of me. <laughs> it was mean and then the baby was born and it was great. But it's so I just I just love that you shared all of that. Like I I think that that is so immensely helpful in just normalizing how everyone just has their own way of coping with all of that and it's all valid and it's all fine. 
It is. And it's, you know, it's funny as a birth worker, I feel like God gives us the birth we need, like for our own births, he gives us the birth we need. But as a birth worker, he sends us to the births we need to, because the birth that I, the first birth that I attended after my son was born was very similar in a lot of ways to his labor. I was able to support her in such a different way, but I also like, it, it helped me process it too, in such a different way, because I was able to like put myself in her position, having been so freshly having a baby, like so freshly in her position, I was able to like put myself where she was because it was so similar, like so similar. But then I also was able to be like, okay, some of the things like, I'm not at all minimizing what women experience during labor, but sometimes what you think you are perceiving is not what's happening. And I think it's important to be aware of that too. So I think there was definitely a level in labor of me perceiving that people were not being supportive, like my husband, but it wasn't true. Like he was being supportive. I wasn't receiving his support because of where I was mentally. And it just gives you a different perspective when you aren't the one in labor and you can almost kind of see things more from the outside rather than, Uh I mean, obviously you go through a lot of emotions and there's just a lot there when you're the one who's in labor, but when you can take that step back and be a little more in your rational mind, your thinking mind rather than your labor mind, it can definitely flip the script a bit. Yes. Yeah, no labor is just, you definitely get in a different mindset. And I just, that's one thing that I want people to know is like, you're going to be in a different mindset. You're going to be a different person and it's okay. It's okay. But you also just have to realize that the way you're perceiving everything is like hopeless and horrible. Like, I mean, it might be. not gonna like sugarcoat it it might be horrible but it also might not be like it might just be the fact that you aren't surrendering you aren't accepting what's happening you aren't working with your body you're working against it because you're trying to control it and that's what I was doing and that's what made it a harder experience and I think regardless of the type of birth that you have there's always going to be that processing to do afterwards you're always going to have to I mean I think it's super helpful to have someone who's at your birth that can tell you their perception of how your labor and birth went because it's so easy to get stuck in our heads and as a doula that's something i like to do with the moms that i support like when we do a postpartum visit is just kind of talk through labor from beginning to end and i have them Mm -hmm. tell me like well how did you perceive everything how are you feeling about everything and then I can give my perspective if that's something that they want. And it just allows for conversation because a lot of times I've had moms say like, oh, I didn't realize that that was what was going on or I didn't even realize that that happened. And so it can just kind of help put all those pieces together in order to work through it and move forward. Yeah. Yeah. So I, this is totally up to you if you want to mention all of this too. But you said you're a doula. And at what point did you go through that training? And then what type of support do you offer to moms right now? 
I mean, I started my educating myself between my first and second before my VBAC, but I didn't get certified until my second born was, I think he was about three months old when I started my certification and I finished it when he was two. I don't know. And not that a certification like is required to support moms in labor either. (laughs) I actually didn't support a mom in labor until after my first home birth because, and this is just my personal bias. This is in no way meant to minimize anybody else hiring who they want as a doula or any other doulas out there with their own experiences. Personally, for me, I didn't feel like I could adequately support a mom who wanted an unmedicated birth until I had experienced it. Personally, I didn't want a doula who hadn't experienced unmedicated birth. I just, I've had an epidural. I've had a C-section. I've had unmedicated. Like I have no problems with anybody having the birth that they have. Like I'm not judging anybody's birth experience. I just didn't feel like I wanted somebody to support me who hadn't experienced what I was trying to experience. And so I didn't feel like I could offer that support without the experience. So I'm grateful that I've had all different experiences because I feel like I can support moms better that way. So that's why I kind of held out actually attending births until my daughter was about nine months old. So that was 2019, I think I started attending births and then, um, I attended births all through 2020. And now I'm mostly, doing virtual support for writing birth plans and helping moms prepare for pregnancy. I did attend one birth. Now that we're here in Texas, I have attended one birth at the birth center that's local to us um, as a photographer, but I kind of stepped in as a doula also not really actively pursuing births right now, just because I'm trying to enjoy my baby while he's a baby. Um, This last one was a little hard on me being away from him for so long. And I don't really have the childcare support system that I need built up here yet to really feel confident taking many births. So I'm kind of, I'm taking births on a case by case situation out of hospital, but I'm mostly doing like preparation work online and virtual. Awesome. That's definitely something that's needed too. I mean, we talk so much about having support during birth or having support, support postpartum, but the support prenatally in just preparing your mind and your body for birth too is very important. It's really important. And for me, especially right now, because I mean, let's face it, as much as I would prefer to attend a home births or birth center births every day, like the moms who need the support are the moms in the hospital. And most moms are in the hospital, not that out of hospital doesn't need support, but like, I just feel like there's a higher level of support needed for moms birthing in the hospital. And right now hospitals still aren't all letting doulas in. Like there's still so many hospitals not allowing them in or putting really strict requirements on them now. And so it's really limiting options for a lot of moms. So it's more important now than ever. I think that moms are prepared prenatally for all of what happens. And then just having somebody that you could even call when you're in labor, like, okay, so, I mean, I'm never going to say that like a virtual doula is better than in-person. I think an in-person doula is always best, but if you don't have 
the resources for it or the option to have that doula, it's nice to have somebody that you trust that you've developed a relationship with prenatally that you can call during labor and say, Hey, I need to bounce this off of you or that your partner can call and say, Hey, I need to bounce bounce this off of you. Like, what should we say? What should we do? So, I mean, that's just kind of where I'm at right now. And you're pretty active on Instagram, right? Yeah. I'm trying. (laughs) Social media is hard with little ones running around too. It 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 takes a lot of time and dedication. I try to record a bunch of reels when I have a little break and then just post them throughout the weeks and stuff and schedule my posts when I have a little break, but then I feel like it's all super random and doesn't make any sense, but, but that's okay because someone's going to find that and that'll be exactly what they need. That's what I say. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be done. <laughs> Definitely. So do you have any last words of advice or just anything that you have kind of learned along your journey that you would want other moms to know? I guess my, my advice really goes to moms who are Christians and follow God. But even if you don't, whatever your higher power is like, understand that we as humans cannot control birth. We can't control it. We're not in charge of it. We didn't design it. We didn't plan it. We can't control it. There is a plan for you. There is a plan for your family and you have to learn how to submit to that plan and work with that plan. And that's not always easy. It's true though. And it's, and it's okay that it's not easy. Like it's allowed to not be easy. It's allowed to be hard. Birth is allowed to be beautiful and traumatic at the same time. Like your birth can be whatever it is to you. Like you don't have to feel guilty about that. That's beautiful. Thank you. And I, I mean, I completely agree. Mm -hmm. I think it's all part of the process. And again, it goes back to that surrender. And you're right. It's not always easy to surrender to something that we feel like we want to have control of, but there's a reason that things are happening the way that they are. Yeah. And like you kind of said before, like no two births are the same with my daughter, my first home birth, I had such a higher level of surrender and I was just at a different place in my life. Like surrender and that level of like spirituality and trusting God, like it's not linear. It's going to be up and down. And I think that's been something really important for me, just like on my faith journey to kind of understand is like, there's been times where I've been really deep and strong in my faith. And then it starts to waver. Not that it's okay that my faith is wavering, but that's normal. And it's just a sign that like, you need to start depending on God again, not trying to just dig your heels in and keep controlling it harder and harder. Well, and it's the same as any other relationship in your life. Exactly. You know, like I think sometimes we think our relationship with God is supposed to be this like perfect, steady thing that's always there. And I mean, it is always there, but just like in a marriage, you have to be willing to put the work in and the time and the effort. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Exactly. Well, thank you so much just for being willing to share all of your birth stories with thank us. Thank you for having me and letting me share. And I hope that somebody out there somewhere, something resonates and makes you feel like you can do this. You can have a home birth. You can have a home birth after a C-section. You can have a beautiful birth. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 
If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.